50 high school senior girls descend on Mobile, Alabama every summer to compete for a massive cash prize. It isn't Survivor. It's one of America's most lucrative scholarship competitions for teen girls. It's been around for seven decades. Now you'll hear what took place behind the scenes. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery comes the competition. Host Shima Oliai was Nevada's contestant 20 years ago. Now she's returning as a judge to find out what two weeks with 50 of the country's most ambitious teens can tell us about girlhood in America. What happens when the competitors are thrown into the deep end with the best and brightest? And how does surviving the competition prepare them for everything that comes after? Follow the competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And welcome back to another episode of our Kardashian bonus show. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Em. Okay, this one is a medley. We are doing season five, episodes five, six, and seven. Can I tell you my biggest takeaway from this season slash these episodes are? Yes. Kim gave us nothing. <laughs> nothing. And Courtney and Chloe gave so much, by the way, and so did Rob. This was supposed to be Kim's show. I know. That's why we've always said, yes, she was clearly the catalyst for this family's success, but she's always said it. Without her family, she's nothing. But by the way, she hardly gets plot points in these episodes. But I think so much of that is because like, her life was just less chaotic in a way or less exciting at this particular time. Yeah. I mean, even like her business ventures weren't plot points. Like her getting Botox for quote unquote, the first time was the plot point in one of these episodes. I know, but I think comparatively speaking to Chloe, who obviously has this new marriage with Lamar and then Courtney really, as we've reflected on this many times when watching the earlier seasons, she carried this show on her back for years. I take back everything I ever said about Courtney in the episodes where she didn't want to film in the later seasons because Girl deserved a break. I know. So the first episode, this is the one, it's called Botox and Cigarettes. And it's the one where, one, Kim is getting Botox for allegedly the first time. And second of all, they find out that Chris occasionally smokes. It's like one of those things where at night she has a glass of wine and a cigarette and they're really committed to getting her to stop. That's not a plot point worth discussing. But the reason that I want to mention the Botox one is they went to Dr. Kasabian at LiftMD And I mean, this episode is from years ago. We're on season five, clearly. But he is still a very prominent plastic surgeon that so many people I feel like we see on Instagram go to. The first example that came to my mind is Kim Zolciak-Bierman from Housewives of Atlanta. Like She swears by him. Yeah, I don't think Kim's reaction to the Botox was necessarily a hit at him or like a testament to him as a doctor. I think it was just Kim saying that it didn't agree with her. Although what's funny is that This whole episode is obviously centered around the fact that Kim gets Botox for the first time. I have never seen Kim's forehead move in a single confessional from season one to season five, starting with. I know. And I mean, when I think about it now, though, Kim specifically is open about the fact that she really likes trying out new procedures. She's all for the lasers. And she's talked about constantly how she's the one that her friends go to when they want to try out something new, whether it's a new peel, a new laser, some sort of new technology. But she really has, I think, a pretty intentional way of separating that type of cosmetics from the injections. Like you never really see her talking about getting filler or talking about getting Botox. I'm not saying she denies it, but she's much more willing to talk about the treatments that Dr. Oriana is doing for her. You never see her videoing the actual injection. So I do wonder at what point in her career she decided, okay, from now on, this is something that's going to happen behind the scenes. It's also such a testament this episode to the way in which the culture, specifically in LA, surrounding Botox and plastic surgery has changed. Because during this time, it was still a big deal that Kim was going to get Botox. Like, you saw the way the family reacted. Chris was like all for it, like she was pushing her to get it. But Chloe was like so starkly against it. And so it's just funny. Botox now, again, specifically in LA, is like the least big deal on the planet. Well, in this episode, Kim's in her mid to late 20s. And now I feel like in LA, it's almost expected. If you look at, I obviously go immediately to a lot of the girls on TikTok and 
you see them doing so many deals with plastic surgeons for lip filler, for Botox. It's not something that they're at all ashamed of or hiding. And so you're so right. It really was far more taboo. I don't know if it was more taboo to get it or just more taboo to talk about it. Maybe a little bit of both. Yeah. Although out of all of the things, Botox is, I feel like relatively underwhelming and Chloe did have a stronger reaction even at that time. Chloe has such strong reactions to things that you want to sit her down and be like, listen, in a couple of years, you're not going to feel this way. So just don't react the way that you think you want to react in this moment. It's crazy because I like Chloe so much, like as a viewer and as a Kardashian fan, I feel such a connection to her. I think she's just fabulous and so real. And I mean, the list goes on of qualities I appreciate about her, but in these seasons, she was so unbelievably abrasive. Yeah. Chloe being my favorite, I don't know when that switch happened. I don't know if it was later when I really like feel like her personality softened a little bit. But even at this time, she was definitely the most entertaining. So maybe it was a switch in terms of why I liked her. Yeah, that's probably what it was. You're right. She was never not entertaining. It was just her delivery style was aggressive. It's like, I don't really typically like to use that word, but it's the only word that comes to my mind when I watch the way she interacts specifically with Courtney and Chris. That also comes with age, I think, because when you're a little bit younger, you don't really, I don't think you think as much about the way that somebody's talking to their parent, especially in a reality show when it's just supposed to be funny. And then when you're a little bit older, you're like, wait a second, no, no reason to approach the situation with that much aggression. Like that's literally your mom. And I think that that's definitely a change and a realization that comes as you get a little bit older. Yeah. And I think that also her appreciation for Chris grew over the years, right? Like it's not that she didn't think very highly of her in these earlier days, but I think as the years have gone on, Chris has been cemented in her mind as just a fucking icon. Yeah, I mean, it was really easy to make Chris the butt of the joke in these episodes, and they very much did that, especially in the early seasons. But it went on for a while, and she's still kind of the butt of the joke. They still play pranks on her. She's still a very easy target. But in the beginning seasons, it almost had that air of they never grew out of the phase of being mean to your mom is cool. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yes, that's, that's so what it was. I mean, lucky for them, when Chris talks about it now, she says her kids were never mean to her, so she clearly forgot about all of those moments. At the end of the day, they all clearly operated with like a baseline level of respect and love towards her, and they were a really close-knit family, so I think that it's just part of their communication style and the way they show love. But to say that they were never mean to her at times is just like objectively false. Yeah. So the weather is finally getting a little warmer. And one of the most fun parts about the seasons changing is kind of the wardrobe revamp that comes along with that. And if you're looking to update your wardrobe without spending a fortune, I want to introduce you to Quince because I really think that they do quality essentials kind of better than anyone I found. And I've told you guys about them before, but specifically as the weather is getting warmer, their linen dresses, like such an easy throw on, so comfortable, such good quality. To me, if you put on a linen dress with a pair of white sneakers, a little cardigan over your shoulders, to me, that is such a chic look. Also, they're washable silk blouses. They are so comfortable, but you look so put together. They have great like scoop neck t-shirts, just comfortable, easy staples. Like that is what I like about them. I think that you can really build just a quality wardrobe collection with their essentials. And the best part is that all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. So by partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and then passes those savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. Get warm rather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com CBC for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash CBC to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash CBC. So Mother's Day is coming up and I know sometimes it can be difficult figuring out what to get your mom because realistically no gift is going to do justice for how much you love and appreciate her. But I'm sure you've done the classic, you know, bathrobe, candle, sweaters, gift cards. If you're looking to mix it up, I want to tell you about Aura Frames. So they were named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter. And it's just the kind of gift that is guaranteed to bring joy because realistically, there's nothing our parents love more than seeing us. So for them to be able to see more of us, even if you don't live close by, like that is probably the best gift you could give a parent. They're Wi-Fi connected. They come with unlimited storage. So you can share as many photos as you want from your phone to your mom's frame. 
and it's easy to set up. It takes about two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. We have one in my kitchen and every time my dad comes down for breakfast, like it just makes him so happy. There's pictures of me, pictures of me and my parents when I was little, pictures of my grandparents. Like I think as a parent, you never get sick of that. And it's just the kind of gift I know she will love. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code CBC at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. So the next episode, this is really when we start to see more of Scott's dynamic with the rest of the family. And it's his birthday. Courtney's throwing him a birthday celebration in Vegas. And she invites Chris. Chris doesn't come. She invites Kim. Kim doesn't come, which Courtney kind of understands because she has so much going on. She doesn't even invite Chloe because she knows that there's no way she'd be willing to go. But at first, she's really upset with Chris because Scott emailed her personally. She never responded to him. And Courtney continually throughout this episode says like, I hate feeling like I have to live two separate lives, one with Scott and then one with you guys. And it's not just the birthday thing. I mean, you see her shopping for a house and of course she wants them all to be together looking at this house, but she has to bring Scott there separately. And then she has to bring Chris and Kim and Chloe there separately. And I understand why it was exhausting for her. Yeah. I mean, I, I really felt for Scott in this episode because he clearly was trying to be the one to make an effort. I mean, when you're a 27-year-old guy having your birthday party in Vegas with all of your closest friends, the idea that you would have to invite your mother-in-law obviously is not there, but Scott was so badly trying to get on her good side and get in her good graces and seeking that approval over and over again, that he went out of his way to invite her to a party that she probably shouldn't have even been at in the first place or wouldn't have expected to be at in the first place. And for her to have no regard for that, I was just like, oh, he is trying so hard in a way that you can't even give him. I know, but the way that it kind of manifested itself in terms of her dislike towards him was in the beginning, she was so upfront about it. You know, we saw her kind of ream him out multiple times. And now as the season progressed, it was just a far more avoidant style. So it wasn't that she was coming for him. She just kind of like gracefully wanted nothing to do with him. And so she didn't think that she was doing anything so wrong because I think in her mind, she was comparing it to what she used to be like, which was just straight up mean. So she's like, okay, I'm not being mean is not responding really the worst thing. Like I think in her mind, it was almost the lesser of two evils. It probably was the lesser of two evils. Although I feel like what this family or what Chris specifically and Chloe specifically didn't really grasp at the time was this concept of positive reinforcement. And Scott really was trying and you can see that and you can see he's really working on turning his life around and making things better for Courtney and Mason. And all he needed was for one of them to step up and be like, I see what you're doing and I want you to continue on this path. So I'm going to continue to acknowledge that and praise you for that fact. Because when somebody's continuing and trying to do something right and you're constantly pushing them down, at a certain point, they're going to hit this mentality of like, what am I even trying for? I think that for them, it was twofold. On one hand, I think that they didn't want to give them the satisfaction. But on top of that, I also think that they feared that positive reinforcement would make him stop trying. Like, I don't think that they viewed it as that being a catalyst for even more success. I think that they almost felt like them walking on eggshells with him and almost keeping a little bit of a distance would potentially be motivating Tim to want to continue. Like, I don't, it's hard to say they were looking at it incorrectly because I understand their frustration. It's not like Scott was this angel that just came in. But for me watching it now, I'm like, oh, you guys, there was such another path that could have been taken and maybe it was more of a collaboration that could have happened. But yeah, it, it's, it was a hard position for, yes, Scott to be in, but really for Courtney to be in. I mean, she was miserable. Well, that's when Courtney kind of hits in this episode, the point of saying like, maybe we should move to New York and get away from my family. When they're touring that apartment in Greenwich Village, and to be clear, I don't think I, it's hard to remember what I felt like watching this at the time, but there was probably a part of me that considered for a second that they could actually move just because his family was there. So it wasn't like New York was some random place. It was where his roots were. But when I watch it now, there was no world in which any of them were leaving Calabasas. It's just, 
it's like almost incomprehensible. I think that was the part in the episode where I felt most sad for Scott. I was like, oh, you have to deal with all of this. And on top of it, you can't even live in New York. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. (laughs) And also the apartments that they were looking at were beautiful. It wasn't like she was going to some really small cramped space. And at the time they weren't even in that bigger house yet. They were in the condo or the townhouse, which obviously was a nice place, but it wasn't anywhere near like the mansion that they live in now, or even the house that they were about to move into. So these apartments, in my opinion, were kind of an upgrade from the townhouse that they were in. I wonder if Scott has any resentment towards Courtney. I don't believe that he does, but I do wonder in the back of his mind if he does, even if it's not the most logical thought process, any resentment towards the fact that they never lived in New York while his parents were alive or never lived in New York for an extended period of time. Obviously, they had seasons of Courtney and Kim take New York, and they did get to live there. But I wonder if there's any resentment in the fact that like was never their permanent home. I don't know. It's a good question. I Maybe this is just me wanting to think this is the case, because it's a pretty painful reality to consider that he potentially could harbor some resentment since both of his parents aren't here. But I think Scott really did enjoy living kind of like the LA dream. And Yes, in theory, I think there was a part of him that wanted to go to New York, but I don't necessarily think it was so much because he felt like he was missing out on family time as much as it was wanting to get away from Courtney's family. So once he and the Kardashians started to actually get along, I think Scott was thrilled to be in California. I really do think that he enjoyed it. I don't think that you know he was dragging his feet to live there. Do you think I'm wrong? No, I don't think you're wrong because something that wasn't Courtney brought him out there in the first place. They met, I mean, I know they met in Mexico, but I believe at the time that they met, he was already living in LA. So it wasn't like a situation where they met in New York and Courtney was like, please can we move to LA? I want to be near my family. Like there was obviously something in Scott that wanted to be LA centric. I just wonder if it's one of those situations where in retrospect, instead of you know, harboring blame on himself and saying, I wish that I had made this decision. He kind of transfers it onto Courtney. I bet there is a lot of really deep feelings there that they both have towards each other that they're not willing to even confront because maybe Scott is now that Courtney's in this relationship with Travis. But I think for both of them, they probably have a lot of issues that are just too deep to discuss while still being in each other's lives and co-parenting. Yeah, I I have to imagine that That's definitely true, especially again, because I mean, not that I'm ever a believer of like forgetting or just pushing something under the rug. Obviously, as you know, I think that like talking about (laughs) your feelings and emotions at length is the best thing you can do, but it's not even like if they wanted to fully suppress it, they are not suppress it. If they wanted to fully forget about it, they could because they're constantly reminded by the world, right? Like the entire world was so invested and continues to be so invested and continues to rehash their past, aka us doing a podcast on season five of the show where we're talking in-depthly about the ups and downs of their relationship. So it's not as easy to put it on the back burner of your mind when nobody wants to forget it. I think they probably both have a lot of selective memory in terms of their relationship and their past. Yeah, which I don't think is too dissimilar to how a lot of them probably operate with different relationships they've had strictly as a self-preservation tactic. Like, okay. I think that Chloe is very aware of what went down with Lamar. And I think that ever getting back with him is not something she would ever, ever consider. Don't get me wrong. I don't think that to say that she was traumatized is probably the least thing you could say about that whole situation that happened. But I do wonder if there's a part of her that chooses to look back on that relationship almost more fondly because to remember the good times they had is just so much easier. I have to imagine that something Chloe probably does in regard to the relationship with Lamar isn't so much like looking at it with rose-colored glasses. I imagine it to be a situation where sometimes she lays awake at night and like remembers certain aspects of it that she didn't think about at the time. Like, you know, that meme about, or that tweet about when you're like falling asleep and you remember something embarrassing you did in middle school. Like I bet Chloe has a lot of moments where she is like laying in bed or she's alone. And she thinks back to a moment. She's like, wow, I wish I saw it. Like, you know, a moment before she really knew what was going on with Lamar, where she would be like, 
wow, I wish I realized what that actually was that was happening at the time because I didn't think about it then. Oh, you're saying things that she could have picked up on that could have potentially been indicators for what was really going on. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So when you were first talking, I thought you were going to say, thinking back on specific parts of the relationship that she has yet to replicate with anyone else. And almost like, I mean, this is like, probably completely a projection and I'm making up some sort of fantasy that doesn't necessarily happen to her. But I do like, just to consider this for a moment, it's like her, she's drifting off. And in my mind, she remembers the feeling of just complete comfort and safety and like uncontrollable love that she felt with him in the earlier days. Cause I know we've said it a million times. I really don't think she's experienced that since. And so I sometimes wonder, it must be complicated for her because on some level, I feel like there are certain elements of that relationship she does really want to replicate. And it showed her that that type of love is possible. So it's like, how do you deal with that in your mind that one of the most painful experiences of your life came out of one of the most beautiful? See, it's funny that your initial thought process was that she probably looks at it and thinks about the better times than what actually ended up happening. In my mind, I think that's the stuff that she's blocked out. Yeah. I don't know. If that, I wonder if that's more about each of us individually than anything to do with Chloe. Probably. I don't know. I mean, there's an argument to be made for both. Blocking out the amazing times makes it a lot easier to cope with the bad, but I think this argument could be made for the reverse as well. Right. Okay. So wait, as a total side note, not that there's much to discuss here, but the second plot of this episode was that Kim has Reggie's dog and she's getting him neutered and it's like a whole conversation. But was this the only time we really saw Kim being any sort of an animal person? Yeah. I don't really remember this either because also she didn't feel like she had much of a connection to the dog. It more felt like a piece of Reggie that was left than actually about the dog. But yeah, I don't think that we've seen a lot of moments besides then until like she got the cat from Kanye where she's like an animal person. No, definitely. Have you seen the theories on TikTok that are circulating? It's not really theories, but it's just some videos of people saying that they think that she is still in love with Reggie and never really lost that for Reggie. And, you know, that she looks at the life that he's created with his wife, this whole thing. Like, where do you stand on that? I don't know. I said that to you a couple of episodes ago, and I think when we were doing this, where I said it wouldn't surprise me if Kim considered Reggie to be like the love of her life, where like I kind of think about where all of the relationships would be had nothing gone wrong. And, you know, in that scenario, Chloe and Lamar would be together. Scott and Courtney would be together. In my mind, there's an argument to be made for Kim and Reggie being together. Let me put it like this. I think that the way that it all played out with Kim and Connie made total sense. Like that was the plan for sure. And I think that that marriage and those children and just creating this life together was like so in Kim's destiny. Don't get me wrong. But I absolutely could envision Kim living a really like successful life as well with Reggie. Again, everything happened in the way that it was meant to. She would not change anything for anything. Those children are the most important things in her life. And the marriage to Connie taught her so much. Like I could, the list goes on, you know, but when I look back, like I could never really imagine a future of her and Chris Humphreys. That was doomed from the beginning. Yeah. I could with Reggie, if I really think about it. Yeah. To me, the argument could be made, but I think of Reggie as just her first love and that having so much impact on her and that's still meaning so much to her. But I don't, I mean, if I'm really thinking about it, no, I don't see it as being a thing where she's still in love with him or like that was her soulmate. I think Kanye was her soulmate. I think so too. I do. I mean, I know I, it may seem like I don't because I dislike him. I'm still conflicted on if people can have multiple soulmates because I think that they can. So I think that he was completely one of her soulmates and that the relationship was so important, not only for the more superficial elements like her brands and her business and obviously her connection to the fashion world, but also just like for her self-exploration and for showing her 
a side of, of romance that maybe she was never accustomed to before. I don't know. I, yes, I am so on your page that that relationship was so important, even though them being divorced to me is one of the greatest blessings. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's absolutely the right call now. The marriage and the way you look at it is so tainted by the way Kanye was in the later years of their relationship. But when you look back to those first initial years, nothing compares to that. I'm not kidding. Like I genuinely feel that way when I watch videos of them and their first dates and when he proposed to her and their wedding in Italy, like, I'm sorry, that was it. I don't know what season this is from, but I just keep seeing it on TikTok where Courtney's in her confessional saying, so Kanye West is a rapper. He's been a longtime friend of Kim's and you know, the song that he just wrote, it's about Kim. And like, they have this whole conversation. I cannot wait till we get to that season. I have no idea which one it is. I know. I cannot wait for Kanye to enter. I mean, we still have to go through a whole Chris Humphries thing. It's funny, like in my mind, the way the seasons are laid out, I think I pictured it as being a much shorter period of time because I think in my mind, Chloe and Lamar weren't together for as long as they actually were, but we still have so many Chloe and Lamar moments. I know. And it's the greatest thing. Watching them together is so much fun. Even in the episode we're about to discuss when they're in bed waiting for Robin Malika to come home. And it's like, I, I literally don't feel like Chloe has felt safe since that relationship. I don't think she ever felt fully safe with Tristan. And when you're watching them in bed together, like just cuddling to me, I felt like she was the most at home when she was in his embrace. Well, that was the thing with their relationship too, was it was like the ultimate safety. And then so quickly it became the exact opposite of that. It became, it went from her safest place to her most unsafe place. And I think a lot of times when you have a relationship dissolve like that, it's not necessarily that it turns unsafe from being so supremely safe. And this was a rare case of that. Like you take Kim and Kanye, for example, I think that was her safest place in the beginning. I don't think she, towards the end of their marriage, felt unsafe. I think she felt like this just isn't working and this isn't a situation I want to be in. But towards the end of her relationship with Lamar, Chloe was genuinely unsafe in her own home. Yeah, exactly. And you don't see that contrast as sharply, or at least in this family. No. The other thing about the relationship with Lamar had really nothing to do with Lamar. It was that Chloe was finally getting to be the homemaker that she always wanted to be. And obviously you can be a homemaker in a house by yourself. You don't need a spouse or children to do that by any means, but she wanted that. She wanted nothing more than to kind of like be the quote housewife to her husband and make a home that he felt comfortable in and that she could have company at and his friends over. And even, you know, yes, she joked about the fact that she would be annoyed with how much time Lamar and Rob spent together, but she loved creating a home that they were so excited to be in. So aside from how much she loved Lamar, you also watched her fall in love with the duties of creating this like homey environment. I wonder if Lamar and Rob have had any contact as of recent. I swear to you, honestly, it's probably in my top 10 questions that I want to know. Because I don't think there's ever a scenario in which Chloe is interested in rebuilding any sort of relationship with him, even if it's entirely platonic. But I could see Lamar reaching out to Rob and Rob either wanting to take that call or feeling compelled to. Which one do you think would be stronger? Let's say in a hypothetical world, he did. Would it be because he wanted to or because he felt like he should? Um, I think in either one, it would be because he owed it to himself, not Lamar. Like I think that that bond was so important to Rob and such an integral part of his life that if he did decide to, if it was a situation where he felt compelled to, I think he would feel compelled to because he owed it to himself. But I'm not sure. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing me with free samples. So I don't know if you guys suffer from allergies, but kind of a new development in my life is that I apparently do. I didn't used to, but in the last few years, I've noticed specifically as the seasons change that I start to have allergies. And to me, there is nothing more uncomfortable than that feeling of nasal congestion. Like you just don't feel like yourself. And I was really looking for something that worked because so much of this stuff doesn't work. And I found Astapro to be really helpful. So I think it could be for you too, if you deal with this kind of stuff. 
So Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray, and it starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray, and Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. By the way, that 30 minutes thing is real, and for me to have relief in 30 minutes is just a game changer. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O-Allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Okay, so I want to talk cookware for a second because I haven't told you guys about this company and I recently tried their products and I fully understand the hype now. So they're called Great Jones and they make really high quality, thoughtfully designed cookware that also happens to be beautiful. Like I know it's kind of a weird way to describe cookware, but you'll see what I mean when you go on the website. In terms of colors, they have your classic black and white, but they also have pink screens, yellows, blues, just like really vibrant, fun colors. And everything is non-toxic. So they have, you know, Dutch oven, ceramic dishes, non-stick sheet pans. Everything is non-toxic to me. That's huge. And we all know, like I'm not the biggest cook, but I have my staples. And I got originally from them the Fry Family, which is the eight and 10 inch ceramic nonstick pans. And they're just great. I got them in the white because that matches the best with my kitchen. I love cooking on them. And I also, I know, again, it sounds kind of weird, but I love the way they look in my kitchen. And the thing is, once you get these, you're going to want to get them for your friends. So they make incredible gifts for weddings, housewarming parties, birthdays, whatever occasion you need. It's a great gift. Upgrade your kitchen and replace those old rusted hand-me-downs with bold, beautiful, long-lasting pieces from Great Jones. Get started today at greatjones.com and get an extra 15% off your first order with promo code CBC. That's greatjones.com, promo code CBC. I don't know either where I stand on that because I can't decide if I think that he's ever really come to terms with how much of a loss that was for him. Because I think even though, of course, they're so different, I think that it was really reminiscent of losing his dad. It's like one of the other, if not the other most prominent male figure in his life. And I feel like that could potentially be really triggering for him. So I don't know if he has worked through that in the way that he probably needs to. I mean, who the fuck am I to say? But, you know, it's hard because We knew Rob so well in these early seasons. He was such a huge part of the show. He was on our screens constantly and not just in the background. We really got to see who he was. And then he just disappeared, which like was totally his prerogative. But that didn't happen with any of the other family members. You know, even Kylie, when she kind of was in the background more in the later seasons, you still felt like there was some sort of connection to her. Whereas Rob, he really went in the dark. And so I don't feel like I have a good enough sense as to where his mind's at because we lost so many years of getting insight into that. Yeah, I don't know either. The one thing that I will say about Rob that would make me lean towards him not having any contact with Lamar or not wanting to is that I think out of every single person in the family, his loyalty absolutely lies the most with Chloe. And I don't think that he would do a single thing that would make her upset. Yes. But okay, a hundred thousand percent. The flip side of that though, is that I can envision Rob coming to Chloe with the fact that he maybe wanted to communicate with Lamar and Chloe asking him not to like, I don't know. I feel like Chloe's goal is not for none of them to have any sort of contact with Lamar. I think that she wouldn't be upset by that in the slightest. Do you think that's wrong? No, I don't think it's necessarily a scenario in which Chloe would ask him not to. I think it's a scenario in which Rob would say to himself, you know, this isn't right to do to Chloe. It's funny because you're looking at it from like Rob protecting Chloe by not potentially contacting Lamar or think in his mind thinking that he's protecting Chloe. Whereas to me, I feel like Chloe would be totally down for it if he wanted to. However, the only reason she wouldn't want him to would have nothing to do with her, but would be because she would feel like she was protective over Rob. Because as we always say, when everything happened with Lamar, he didn't just hurt her. He really betrayed, of course, the whole family, but specifically Rob. So I feel like in my mind, when I'm discussing this like potential scenario that may or may not ever occur, they're both operating from the perspective of protecting one another. Protecting, but also there's the element of just like the sibling code. Yeah, no, of course. But I mean, I don't know. 
it's just so different with Chloe. Like to me, she's just so open to all of these things that I feel like there could be such a easy conversation that didn't feel threatening. See, to me, when I picture the situation, I don't picture Rob ever even bringing it to Chloe. I just picture if he's going to say this isn't the right thing to do, it would just be like, you know what? He really destroyed my sister. He really hurt my sister. And despite the fact that like he was one of the most important relationships in my life, it's just not the right thing to do for me to kind of forget and move on from that. Even if Chloe herself has, even if Chloe's in a much better place, even if Chloe's thoughts on Lamar are so in the past, I think as a sibling, there's a code there and you just don't do that. Right. But I guess the way that I'm viewing it, isn't that he would like forget any of what happened with Chloe. If anything, when I view the conversation with Lamar, I almost view it as like a civil confrontation is what I mean. And I think Chloe would understand that like, even if Rob's so protective of her, he's still should have the ability if he wants to talk through some of these feelings that he has, I think that she wouldn't want him to have those pent up. You know what I mean? It's not like he's going into it with the goal of becoming friends with Lamar again, but I think there's probably so much stuff that he wanted to be able to say to him and think about it. It's not like Chloe didn't say that stuff to Lamar. They had so many conversations when she was in the hospital with him, they weren't even together. And like, they spoke after the fact. So clearly we're operating like under the idea just in this hypothetical conversation that him and Rob never had that conversation. But I'm saying, I guess I just wonder if they would, that's all. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I assume that Rob and Lamar had their own conversations as well because there was that period of time where Lamar was out of the hospital and the whole family was helping him get his life back together and helping him heal and helping him in the aftermath of the coma. So I imagine that during that time, there was a conversation that occurred between Rob and Lamar that helped them kind of heal and move forward. I'm kind of picturing if there was a scenario that was happening this day and age, it wouldn't be as much like covering the basis of everything left unsaid. It would be like moving forward in this new era of their lives. Right. I don't know. Again, I have no idea. And that's why I want to know so much because the like other potential is that in the aftermath of that, when they were helping him almost get back on his feet, it wasn't the time for like necessarily the deepest conversations that really brought to the surface all of the ways in which they wronged him, right? Like he was maybe in too fragile of a state to discuss that. I don't know. Like we're, this is what we had this conversation, I think last week when we were saying it is so hard to have any educated guess or take on the Lamar situation because that entire thing happened seriously behind closed doors, like in a way that was far more behind the scenes than most of the things that they go through, like with this type of stuff. I can't wait till we get to the episodes where we're dealing with the aftermath of Lamar or we're starting to find out the information about it because I actually think that's like the fuzziest memory I have of the show. I don't remember it as clearly, especially the aftermath of the overdose. I also don't remember that clearly. So I'm excited to get to that point. And and I I think there's going to be answers in those episodes that we forgot about. Yeah. I mean, I find that in every episode, even ones that are like relatively anticlimactic, I still pick up on things that weren't at the forefront of my mind. Right. Because there are so many episodes where the major moments get relived, whether they're playing on TV again, or there's a TikTok clip, or somebody's talking about a very specific moment, but those are typically the big moments. There are so many Kardashian moments where things happen and there are just throwaway lines that you don't think about ever again. But then when you rewatch, you're like, wow, that has so much more significance to it than it had at the time and that we even realize now. Well, the next episode is when Chloe keeps making these jokes about Rob and Malika hooking up. So finally they decide to kind of get back at her and act like they really are. And they're all cuddly and coupley and really flirtatious in front of her. And she like is so cringed out because obviously she feels like Malika's her sister and Rob's her brother. And so she feels like it's incest, but there's one comment where Rob is in his confessional in this episode. And he's like, you know, obviously it's uncomfortable for Chloe because Malika is her best friend in the world and also her assistant. And I was like, wait a second, did I forget that Malika was Chloe's assistant? Right. I, that line caught me off guard too. I completely forgot that. I mean, it was almost like a Kim and Paris situation. 
By the way, Rob and Malika could be a contender for couples that should have been, actually should have been. I I can't even talk about it. It would make so much sense. Malika has the best relationship with the family. They've always been so close. They have such a level of respect for one another. Like, oh my God, I I know they were doing it as a joke to get back at Chloe, but I was watching this being like, can you guys take this seriously for a second? Because I think you would have so much fun together. I bet Chris wanted that so badly. I mean, she. I really feel like views Malika as another daughter. I think so too, but I... I think that if Chris had her pick of who she would want Rob to be with, I think she would have picked Malika. No, I'm agreeing with you. I didn't mean like she, she felt like Malika was her daughter in the sense of like she would, wouldn't want Rob. I'm saying I can't think of somebody that she would want to welcome into the family with open arms more than somebody who's already basically been in the family. Like I'm, I'm trying to think of an example. It's almost like this is different. It's not to the same extent, but it's almost like if Kylie started dating Jaden Smith. Right. I mean, listen, never say never. There's still time for them to get together. It is possible. I mean, technically, they're both apparently single right now. Right. It feels like that ship has really sailed. But you you watch these old episodes and your mind starts going. Like, (laughs) I don't know about you, but I'm watching this and I like fully in my mind consider it as a real possibility, whether that's true or not. I think that that ship has not necessarily sailed yet. I think we're completely off. And if they were ever listening to this in some other universe, they would be hysterically laughing at that thought. But I don't care because it's so much more fun to consider it. Totally. I mean, listen, has the ship probably sailed? Yeah, but they're both single. They're both parents in that stage of their lives. It's not like it's the most impossible thing that it could never, ever happen. It is in a hypothetical world possible. I just think it probably wouldn't happen. Well, just to give an argument in the direction of it happening, Courtney and Travis were friends for a really long time and no one ever even considered it. That's true. I mean, I wouldn't say no one considered it. There was always rumors about them, but yeah, no one in the family considered it. Right, but I'm saying it wasn't like a giant plot point on the show for years and years. Do you think Travis is her soulmate or do you think Scott is? I don't know. I think that you can have multiple soulmates. Okay, but let's say you can only have one. Fuck, I don't know. This is like really the old me pulling with the new me. I felt like it was Scott for so long, but maybe it is Travis. You think it's Scott? I kind of do too. I because I don't I don't know. I think that maybe Scott's her soulmate and Travis is like her twin flame. That's what I think. Right. I don't know what I think about that, but I do. If you were to ask me, like gun to my head, who's Courtney's soulmate? I would say Scott. I think I would too, honestly. Even though. I like am so excited about her relationship with Travis and totally think he's the one and I think that they're going to be together forever. I can't lie and say that that's lost on me, like the Scott thing. Right. But remember, by that same logic, we've always said that we thought that Lamar and Chloe were soulmates and we're so happy that they're not together now. So you can be somebody's soulmate and then also not be the right person for them at this time in their life. Oh, Absolutely. Let's talk about something near and dear to our hearts, our furry companions. Life is full of unexpected twists, just like the ones we love to uncover about our favorite celebs. But sometimes those twists involve our four-legged friends. Imagine navigating the unpredictable world of pet parenthood, where every day is a new adventure. Our partner, Spot Pet Insurance, wants to share a message to help make sure you're prepared for any unexpected curveballs, whether it's a sudden illness or an unplanned trip to the vet. Spot Pet Insurance can be your secret weapon against the unexpected. With Spot, you can get up to 90% cash back on eligible vet bills, helping you with those surprising expenses that seem to pop up when you least expect them. But wait, there's more. Spot Pet Insurance plans go beyond just offering coverage for accidents and illnesses. You can enhance your plan with their preventive care benefit, ensuring that routine wellness, vaccines, and more can be covered too. Head over to spotpet.com today to get a quote instantly. Trust us, it's the easiest thing you'll do to help secure the well-being of your dog or cat. Visit www.spotpet.com today. Paid ad from Spot Pet Insurance. Waiting periods, annual deductible, coinsurance, benefit limits, and exclusions may apply. For all terms, visit spotpetins.com slash sample hyphen policy. Insurance plans are underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by Spot Pet Insurance Services, LLC. 
People have so many different reasons for wanting to learn a new language. Maybe you have an upcoming trip or just want to pick up a new hobby or a skill or just connect with a new culture. I know for me, when I was abroad in Barcelona in college, I'm not going to say that I was fluent in Spanish, but I definitely got to the point where I felt really confident conversing. And when I got home, my dad said to me, Emmy, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. And he was so right. Like I entirely lost it. So Rosetta Stone has been really helpful for me. So if you are in that same boat or you want to learn a new language completely, you want to brush up your skills, whatever it is, I want to tell you about Rosetta Stone because they're the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. And it really kind of immerses you in the language that you want to learn. So first of all, they're the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. It's fast language acquisition. So they immerse you in many ways. First of all, there's no English translation. So you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language, which in my experience, I know I'm getting it when I start to think in the language. It's an intuitive process. So you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. And it's designed for long-term retention. Also, in terms of speech recognition, they have a built-in true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation and it's convenient. So desktop and app options with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. And it's an amazing value. You're getting lifetime access to all 25 language courses Rosetta Stone has to offer for 50% off, which is a steal. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Comments by Celebs listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash comments. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash comments today. The other part of this episode was like this kind of, I don't know if it was real or fabricated one of Chris potentially managing BG5, which was this girl group. But the real conversation here, which didn't arise too much in this, but, you know, what Chris did as a manager was fucking unprecedented, right? Like we've never seen a momager take on the role this way and then build up every single one of their children to be more successful than the last, right? right. But you do wonder is there a world that exists where Chris has her own giant management company? And I know on some level, like people think she has a hand in Addison or some of these other kind of people, but I'm saying on a much larger scale. And I think that not doing that is probably the right move. Like I think the way that she did it and having all of her focus on her children clearly served her best. But this episode brought up that other possibility to me of like, what would that be like? Because could you imagine people would be dying to get into that Chris Jenner school of management? First of all, this episode was like iconic. I, I feel like I, I want to answer your question in one second, but as you just brought up the girl group aspect of it, thinking about the girl group aspect of it, which is one of those running Kardashian jokes that still comes up and the Robin Malika aspect, like this is one of like, even though it was such a minor episode and there's not even that much to discuss here. This is a Hall of Fame Kardashian episode. Oh, on like the viewing scale, like if we didn't have a podcast just watching it, I was in heaven, like oh, straight 10. Straight 10. Also, also really quickly, the scene when they're in Chloe's movie theater and it's Chloe and Lamar, the row behind, and then Malika and Rob in front. That was like, that was when I watched these shows and I feel like I'm 16 again. Fuck me up that scene. Right. Like Malika giving Rob a pretend hand job in Chloe and Lamar's movie theater. That right there is the only content I care about. I could have watched five straight hours of just that. What about when they're in Chloe's room? I mean, this happened in this episode, but it also happens constantly. And Rob just walks in in basketball shorts and then Calvin Klein boxers that are just like a little bit above the shorts. Oh my God. It's like, I get I get so horny watching him. I have a visceral reaction to it. I can't even talk about it. Yeah, I so do too. I, oh, wow. Okay. Anyway, to answer your question though, in terms of the Chris management, because I do, I do feel like that is a really important part to touch on. I think Chris being a momager has allowed her to be so invested in their success aside from just a monetary incentive because she is so invested in her kids and where their career takes them. And therefore she pours her everything and every thought that she has, every planning that she has, every way that she manipulates the entire system, like it's a chessboard, which is how we've heard it described in the past. I think all of that has to do with the fact that these are her kids. And I wonder 
not that she couldn't pass on this school of teaching. I just wonder if there was another person that she was managing, if she would be able to devote that same level to them. It's a really hard question to answer, but I just don't think it's possible. Like, to be clear, I think that if Chris decided to take on another client that was not family, she would put everything into it. But I think that she probably gives something to her kids that she's not even aware that she's doing. It's just that they are her children. So she naturally operates more fiercely than she would. Like, I really think it's, it's not something that it's tangible. It's just the maternal connection allows her to do things that she couldn't do otherwise. So it's not like I think that if she managed someone, they wouldn't be wildly successful. Of course they would. It's fucking Kris Jenner. She has every connection in the world. She's brilliant at this. But yeah, the secret sauce probably is the fact that they are her family. Like it's just different. I also think that she would obviously be great at managing somebody who is already somewhat established, like an Addison, for example. I think that if you had to have Chris build somebody from the ground up again, for example, the BG5 here, and you said to her like, okay, you did it with your girls. Like you made them nothing into not just something, but into everything. Do it again. I think she would say to you, I have no idea how I did it the first time. Well, also because times were so different then. Like it was another world. You couldn't recreate this. And that's why the Kardashians are what they are, because it is a model that in my opinion is impossible to replicate. It's possible to try to follow in their footsteps, to take inspiration from, but the actual way that they did it, we've come too far technologically and otherwise to ever recreate that's fully successfully in my opinion. I so agree. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I don't know what the fuck just happened to you. No, but I never do. I know. I love that Martha Stewart one we posted today, by the way. When she said, no, not Kim Kardashian, it was just, it's gold. Okay. Well, that was fun. (laughs) (laughs) We love you guys. And Iswell and I will see you later this week for Bravo. And then I should mention that Julie and I are going to be back on Tuesday, not Monday, because Monday is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. So we will be releasing the episode on Tuesday. And we love you guys, and we'll see you later. Let's talk about baby making for a second, because it's really not as simple as it's made out to be, meaning there's just factually a lack of knowledge surrounding how to get pregnant. And kind of, you know, for many of us, we spend our lives trying to prevent unwanted pregnancy that when you do want to conceive, there's almost a lack of understanding and resources, which is why I want to introduce you to Free to Fertility. Free to Fertility is the only one-stop shop that makes it easier to make a baby with a set of solutions for everything from egg and sperm health to ovulation tracking to conception aid. And basically what Frida is doing is simplifying the journey to parenthood with products that help you go from trying to making a baby. And their products are innovative, easy to use, accessible, from ovulation prediction to at-home insemination kits. They're kind of revolutionizing the conception aid game with the at-home insemination kit, which is almost, you can think of it as like a modern effective solution to the turkey baster. This is baby making simplified. Find Free to Fertility on Amazon, Target, and select CVS near you.